0: Oh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all on this snowy Sunday, or we call it January, right? Oh, uh, I'm going to open with a, a little bit of a story or a picture of of how we can get into our sermon. I hope here. So many of you guys know I lived in China, and I moved there for three years back in I think it was 2009. And in China, at least the part where I lived, which was kind of out in the western area, I think of it as like the Wyoming of China, the apartments that you would find there largely came unfinished. Maybe partly finished, but mostly unfinished. So what that means is when you would walk in, if you rented an apartment, there'd be no flooring, right? It would just be cement. There wouldn't be any doors on any of the, for any of the rooms, not even the bathroom, no door frames, if we went into the kitchen, it was nothing but a drain, like there's no kitchen cabinets, no appliances, it's just a blank slate. And so the apartment that I got came like that and then it also had walls that they would put some kind of chalky substance on it. So it was like this really fine chalk white substance that you would have to have somebody come in and like sand down professionally in order to be able to paint on them. So this apartment I had had um, absolutely nothing. And so I had to go into the business of trying to figure out how to make it livable. And so that meant going into this large market that would be on the west side of town. So I'd take a taxi out there, and it was this market of a bunch of different shops and vendors. I was trying to remember this morning. I think it was called Dashan Shechang, which just means big mountain market. And so you'd go around to these different vendors and sort of bargain on, you know, like... What price could I get for this flooring? And What price could I get for this cabinet? And so I did all of that. And things were relatively cheap for Americans um, at least 10 years ago in China. So I think my apartment I was paying like $90 a month for. And then you're just trying to, you know, cobble together a way to make it livable. So in order to get the walls sanded and painted, that was a little bit different. I have some mild asthma. And so I really needed to get that really fine chalky substance off. And so th- I asked around to some friends and I said, how how do I go about getting this done? And they said, well, the way you have to do that is you go down to this certain part of the city and that's where the the day laborers just kind of hang out waiting to be hired. And so it turned out there were a few blocks around the largest mosque in town, which I think is actually the largest mosque in Central Asia. And that's where the people would go down and they would just bring their their different um, tools with them and they would go and they would sit there starting from early in the morning all day, just waiting for people to come by and hire them for a day's work or half a day's work and somebody told me okay well it'll cost you just so you know as you're bargaining probably about eight kwai an hour to hire somebody which is just a little bit over a dollar an hour and that always felt just a little bit um, like a little bit chintzy even for there so I would always bargain and they they would come pretty easily because I would pay more than that Um, Even within that context. So I would go down and I would hire a couple people and then I would just tell them where to meet me. I don't remember how I took public transportation, so I don't remember if they came with me or if they met me later. But regardless, I got it done. And so this is the picture that I had in mind when I was preparing for this parable that we're approaching today as we're wrapping up our sermon series on these short stories by Jesus. And so our story comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. And the context of this parable or the story that Jesus tells is this. So Jesus is standing around with his disciples and a rich young man comes up to him and asks about how can I get into the kingdom of heaven, which is kind of a weird thing to ask. And by kingdom of heaven, the rich man doesn't mean, okay, how can I go to heaven when I die? What he's asking is something a little bit more like, how can I be part of God's good realm in the here and now? You know, like, what what entails this good realm of God, according to you, Jesus, and how can I participate in that? And so Jesus says to him, he says, well, you need to take all of your stuff and give it away to the poor. And then we're told that the man went away disappointed because he had many possessions. And then Jesus turns to his other disciples and he says, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the disciples then are just kind of wondering, okay, well, what does it mean to be part of this good realm of God? Because it seems like God's standards are really hard. And it doesn't seem to be about simply having money, because Jesus' some of his early disciples, some of the early church leaders had money. They were patrons of the ministries. But there was something about that particular rich man's inability to hold his stuff loosely and sort of embrace the generosity that Jesus um, was calling him to that caused Jesus to say, Well, you know, with God anything is possible. And then Peter, who I think of as sort of the wiliest disciple, he's like, okay, so you're telling that guy he has to sell everything he had, so we gave up everything, so what's in it for us? And Jesus essentially just says, well, you'll be honored by God. And then he tells this story, and it's usually known as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And so Jesus started by saying, he said, okay, the good realm of God is like a landowner who went out early into the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them out into his vineyard. And there's a couple of things that I notice right off. First, Jesus doesn't tell his disciples that the good realm of God is like people who give everything away. And he doesn't say the good realm of God is like the poor. He says the good realm of God is like a landowner, which is a little bit of an interesting twist. More literally, it means a householder. And this householder went to hire workers for his vineyard in a manner that I would imagine to be a little like what I did in China. Right? There was probably a part of town where laborers just sort of hung out waiting to be hired. And then it says that this landlord and the laborers, they came to an agreement on the price. Right? So this was much like the bargaining that I did with my, with my painters, the Sanders and painters. And that price that they agreed upon was a denarius. And so Brad Young, who's a scholar of the New Testament, he says that a denarius would have been about an average day laborer's wage at the time. It was a fair wage. It would have fed a family for a few days, right? It's not extravagant, but it's enough for a person to live on. So Jesus carries on with this story, and he says, okay, so then at about nine o'clock in the morning, the uh, landowner went back out, and he saw that there were other workers who were standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And so he told them, okay, you go, and you should also come and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. And then he went out again at about noon, and then he went out again at three in the afternoon and did the same thing, and then he went out again at five, and he found still others standing around. And he said, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And they said, well, nobody's hired us. And he said, okay, you also go work in my vineyard. Right, So we've got this householder who's going out and he's checking in at this place in the part of town where the workers hang out to find jobs. And when his words are translated as, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? It makes it sound a little bit like he might be accusing the men of just like being lazy. Right? Like, what are you doing here? You're just sitting here doing nothing. But Amy Jill Levine, who's the, the Jewish scholar of the New Testament, that, whose work we've been sort of leaning into for this series... She tells us that the Greek actually means without work. So it's a little bit more like, why have you been standing here all day without work? And in that way, she says, it's more of a remark of surprise rather than one of rebuke. Like, man, nobody's hired you yet. Okay, well, go to my field. And so the workers at this late state in the, um, in the game, they don't appear to like bargain with this landowner about the money because it's probably assumed that if you haven't found work by afternoon, you're probably ready to take, you know, like whatever you can get. And we also notice that the men seem to trust this householder, right? This householder doesn't seem to have a reputation of being a crook or of being somebody who wouldn't pay them or pay them well, I mean, if he has a vineyard, he probably has to hire people year after year, so he doesn't want that kind of reputation. So there's nothing about the householder that makes him seem distrustful or or untrustworthy. And then Jesus goes on, it says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, okay, call all of the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then move on to the first. And then the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and they each received a denarius. Right? And that's what the householder had actually agreed to pay, if we remember right, the people that he hired early in the morning, probably around 6 or 7 a.m. So here it was, the people who were, you know, came at 5 p.m. were getting great pay. So Jesus said, so when those came um, up who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They're like, dude, those who were hired last worked only one hour and yet, you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Right? And the heat of the day is no small thing. You've been in Israel, like picking grapes under the hot sun all day and trying to do it with care for that fruit that's hard work and it's tiring. And I feel for them. And it says, the householder answered them, I said, Look, I'm not being unfair to you. In fact, he says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? So take your pay and go, look, I want to give the person who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And that's where Jesus leaves the story. And I have to say that the American individualist, semi-capitalist in me, like, hates this story. And if you've ever felt like you didn't get paid fairly, you probably hate this story too. Yeah, I was remembering when I moved to Ann Arbor back right out of college, like 20 years ago, I was working for the corporate office at Borders Books, and I had worked through a Borders bookstore all through college, right? That was part of how I, I paid, made my way through, and so when I graduated, I was able to get hired in public relations and marketing up here, which brought me to Ann Arbor, and after I'd been at that corporate office for a couple of years, I will tell you, I was making profoundly bad money for what I did. And then I found out that the man that I was dating, because I did date men in my 20s, who I loved, but more as friends, I found out that this man was making 20% more than me. And I'd been with the company longer than him, he was four years younger, I had a college degree and he didn't, I had a higher title, I had more responsibility, and he was making 20% more than me. So as you can imagine, like I was livid. But I was young and I hadn't been all that well prepared by any adult in my life for how to like bargain my salary or demand more. So what I did was I just quit and I went and I found a new job. And then when I did, I found out that the company I left, Borders, which I can say this now because they're bankrupt, so nobody's around there anymore, they split my job in two and hired two people to do it. And that felt even more unjust, because I was like, man, if they just paid me double, I would have stayed. Right, so like when I hear this story, it hits like that nerve in me as it might for you, right? That nerve that says it's not fair when people who do less work or who might be less qualified get the same amount of pay. And it's not fair. And I think that's one of the points. You know, another angle on my situation might be that my boyfriend at the time still made really terrible money. And what we were paid was honestly barely enough to survive on in Ann Arbor, you know, I moved up here by myself. I was living at Spruce Knob. I don't know if any of you guys know Spruce Knob apartments over there at Platt and uh, Ellsworth. No, Stone School. Stone School in Ellsworth. I mean, I was like eating ramen noodles and eggs. Those were my staples just to keep my food budget intact. And my boyfriend was actually living with his parents. And honestly, if he had made less than me, I don't think he would have been able to afford to live here. And so would that have really been just? You know, Maybe justice would be better served had we both been able to make a wage that allowed us to do more than just barely pay our bills and for me, my large student loans. Now, maybe it's a little unfair to, pay, to compare these day laborers. I mean, we both had a roof over our head and we had food, but you understand like the emotional space that we're in here with this story. And I think we should note that the laborers in the story are more worried about being paid fairly than in whether or not the other workers have enough food for their families. Right? I think this is the crux of it. The laborers in the story are more worried about being paid fairly than in whether or not the other workers have enough food for their families. And whenever we ignore the question of whether or not others have enough, then that's when I think we start to get out of step with God's picture of justice. Because the first men who were hired... They didn't want to be treated equally to the last, they actually wanted to be treated better. Like I wanted to be treated better than the guy I was dating. And but you know, but the workers <laughs> what the workers think is fair is not necessarily right. Remember Jesus said, "I will pay you what is right." So perhaps this story is telling us that God is more interested in justice than fairness. Because the workers all receive the usual daily wage, it's plenty to live on. They can meet their needs. And so despite their grumbling, the only point we're told that the workers could make about the landowner was that he was generous to others. And like he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? And I think in the household, they're making that point, we deduct that the point is not then that those who have get more, but that those who have not get enough. Right? That one does the work we work in the labor force, we work however we envision in God's good realm for that to be extended on earth, not for more reward, but for the benefit of all. Right? The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that here we're seeing the householder, the landowner, showing neighborly love by making sure that as far as he is able that he's provided enough for all right he's working for the benefit of everybody in his employ and he's employing as many people as possible now the householder in this story could be representative of god right providing enough for everybody interested in justice for all but it might not symbolize god or it might have multiple layers of meaning maybe it's both But I just wanted to play with the story a little and invite us to imagine ourselves as the householder in the story. And if that's true, what is it saying to us? Because to me, it doesn't seem to be a blueprint about labor practices. If you own a business, or gosh, even if you work, right? Any company or person that pays a person for one hour the same that they're paying somebody all day, you're not gonna be able to get employees to show up at 8 a.m. And I thought it was really helpful. Amy Jill Levine reminds us that Jesus is neither a Marxist nor a capitalist. But he's an idealist and a pragmatist. And his focus is often less directly on good news for the poor than on the responsibility of the rich. And she reminds us that Jesus is part of a culture that relates in a more corporate way, in a more communal way. And so the point of the story, if you're the householder, might be read more like Hey, if you have more than enough to eat and live, do you support practices that allow other people to eat as well, even when it doesn't seem fair? If you have more than enough to eat and live, do you support practices that allow everyone else to eat as well, even if it doesn't seem fair? And I think that's as pertinent a point in Jesus' day as it was ours you know, I've actually, I've taught on this parable a few times in my life, so it's always exciting when you, you find something new, and something that Amy Jill Levine just, in like one or two sentences, made note of, so then I went and researched it, that was interesting to me, was um, just before Jesus was born, Herod, King Herod, who was kind of awful, but Herod the Great, he started a giant construction project, and it was the temple in Jerusalem, right? Herod's temple, the second uh, temple. And it was maybe even the largest construction project of that century. And by some archaeological accounts, we're told that that wasn't actually completed until about 20 to 30 years after he had died. So that would have put it, its completion about in Jesus' young adulthood. Right? So that temple, the large temple in Jerusalem, was probably completed when Jesus was about 20 or 25 years old. And then Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, he tells us that that construction project in Jerusalem employed 18,000 workers. And then when it was complete, all of those workers were out of work, right? So in Jesus's time, in his young adulthood, there were a lot of unemployed or underemployed day laborers in and around Jerusalem. And then Josephus records that if any of them did work for even an hour, he received a day's pay, So what seems to be happening here is that Jesus is affirming this sort of grassroots system that was actually taking place that made sure that everyone had enough, right? Judaism is deeply concerned for the poor and for the outsiders, and it seems like Jesus is blessing that stream of thought that was taking place in his day and probably challenging more people to join into that kind of generous living, right? The Reverend Clarence Jordan, he once said, whenever Jesus told a parable, he would light a stick of dynamite and then cover it with a story. <laughs> so kind of like, just cover, cover it with a story. And it made me remember, you know, the situation that Jesus was trying to answer with this story, right? He had, he had this little thing going on with Peter and the rich man, right? He told the rich man, give away everything you have to the poor, and the rich man couldn't do it, You're right? Jesus was identifying that he didn't care enough about others having enough, And so Jesus was challenging his relationship to his things. And then the Apostle Peter is like, well, hey, I've given up everything. Don't I get more? And Jesus is like, no, you have your reward, right? It's not about being rich or poor that brings about God's good realm. To be part of it, you have to live generously and justly like the landowner. And so I think this story is meant to allow us to just enter for just a moment into this sort of alternative world that operates on generosity rather than greed and ambition and competition. And it allows us to experience the world in which those who have been ignored or who are underemployed or underutilized by society are nevertheless of great value to God and worthy regardless of their circumstances to live with dignity each day, right? It beckons us to advocate for and give generously for those who are in need regardless of whether or not we think it's fair. So let me close with with a story. Rachel gave me permission to tell this story. So she came home one night this week, and she was telling me about her day. We were just having dinner. And she and I, we always joke about just how awesome it is when you get fed at work. You know, like when people bring in food, like there's going to be pizza afterward here. We're just like, snacks, snacks are so great. So Rachel was telling me about how great it was that there were these like leftover donuts in her meeting that morning, because the people who were in the room before left donuts. she's like, oh, good, I got extra you know, I had a donut, she said, and it had pink frosting, but it turned out that the frosting was strawberry flavored, you know, she's like, it's not my first choice, but it was still good, and I was like, ugh, like, I like strawberry, but strawberry frosting on a donut, that sounds disgusting, I totally would have gotten rid of it and gotten another one, and she was like, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that, besides the fact that she never wastes food, Rachel, she's like, really good about that, but she's like, I couldn't do that, and here's why, she goes, yesterday, our department got pizza, And in my mind, I was set on having two pieces of pizza for lunch. And it turned out that the pizzas were like those great big New York style pizzas with those really long thin pieces. She's like, but I had in my mind, I wanted two pieces. So I got in line and I got my two pieces and other people did too. And then I saw how long the line was. And it hit me that there might not be enough food for the people at the back of the line to eat. But it was too late. I don't know if they got their food, I think they did. But you have to understand, that's why I couldn't get another donut. Because I can't be that person that takes two slices of pizza and then gets two donuts when there's limited supplies. I can't be that person. And I thought, oh, I had just written a sermon. I was like, that's a great closing line for the sermon. Like if you had to sum it up, don't be the person who takes more than enough when other people might not be able to eat at all. And it doesn't matter if it's fair, right? Amen. <laughs> All right. Let's have a little time of meditation. We we like to do, um, close the service just with two minutes of silence or guided meditation. And I actually think we're just going to do some silence today. And in this space, you might try just focusing on your breathing and... Just having a a conceptualizing God however you understand God as the spirit of love and just opening yourself up and inviting that spirit to speak to you um, in any way that she might want to. And if there's anything that you're hoping to just dialogue or make known to God, maybe you're in pain this morning or something's going on in your life, let's just spend these two to three minutes in corporate silence experiencing the presence of God this morning. Jesus, I ask that in those places where we're feeling like we don't have enough, whether that's enough to eat, enough to live on, enough emotionally from those around us, I ask, Lord, that you would help us experience um, enough in our lives, Lord. And we lay those needs before you and ask that you would turn your attention toward them. And in those places where we feel too attached, perhaps, to our own Things that you would help us to relinquish that attachment so that we can be responsive to your nudges of generosity and that you would show us places and people where we can be more generous for the benefit of everyone around us. And in those places where we're hurting, Holy Spirit, we ask for your comfort this week. And in those places where we feel like we need some infusion or empowerment, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us and rest on us this week. We ask for your blessing and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.